This is John the Baptist though. You know, one of the things we can't take for granted in this series is that John the Baptist in his pursuit of Christ, he actually wanted to become less. Like he actually wanted to be less because he knew the less he became as he pointed to Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God, as he directed the attention away from himself and to the Lord Jesus Christ, he lived by faith that the less he became, the more he actually started to live. Again, question, we asked this a couple weeks ago, we asked this again though, do we really want to become less? Welcome back to Live in the Light, friends. Thankful, as always, for your joining us here today. With us in our studio is our teacher, Pastor Robbie Simons. And Robbie, today's message, we're tracking further through the life of John the Baptist, but it begins with this incredible quote by F.B. Meyer. The only hope for a decreasing self is an increasing Christ. Yeah, that's an incredible quote, isn't it? I guess we I guess we pause for a second and say, but do we really want to decrease in self? <laughs> like that's always the fundamental question with this whole series. And really with God's word and the gospel, right, Craig? I mean, this is what Christ calls us to. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Robbie. The heart that's in me wants to elevate self. But that's not the plan of God for my life. That's not the best plan of God for my life. In fact, that's not even what I was designed to do. I was not designed to make myself the center of my existence. I was designed to worship and adore God. And the message of the gospel corrects all that with Christ's work and sacrifice for us. So John's message is going to lead us along these lines of these truths again, right, Robbie? Totally going to do that. And again, we have to decide fundamentally, do I believe what God says or what I feel, right? So my natural inclination is not to decrease. God's word says differently. The more we decrease, the actually we begin to see the increase of life through our lives. It's amazing. It's a paradox. It's, it seems so counterintuitive, but it's the message of John the Baptist who was walking with Jesus himself. Hey, if you're being encouraged right now through this series, you're encouraged through this ministry, would you let us hear from you? We love that. Just speaking to you right now, like someone's listening right now. I'm talking to you because <laughs> we are here and we are praying that God would allow us to continue to be again on this station at this time. But we need your encouragement to do that. And so why don't you take the opportunity to tell us and uh, that'd be a blessing. So in today's message, I guess, right, Craig? Yeah, but before we do that, let me just tell our listeners how they can reach out to us. You can go on our website at liveinthelight.ca. That's .ca. Or you can phone us up at 1-844-22-LIGHT. That's 1-844-225-4448. And again, as Robbie said, we would love to hear from you. Love to hear how God's word has been stirring in your hearts and in your lives. All right, let's flip things over to today's message in John chapter 1 with a message entitled, Behold the Lamb of God. All right, John chapter 1 is where we are this weekend, and here we go with our sermon title, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Now that statement right there, Behold the Lamb of God, that statement right there summarizes the entire life of John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God. That summarizes John's life. Question, what statement summarizes our lives? Would it be anything close to behold the Lamb of God? What statement does summarize our lives? 
athlete. That used to be who I was. No longer an athlete anymore. Too old for that, huh? Maybe mom summarizes your life. It's a great thing. Not the best thing. Um, workaholic? Hope not. For some, though, that is. That's what summarizes your life. Um, student? Musician? Um, pleasure seeker? Living for the next thrill of the moment, the next vacation? What statement summarizes? We can go on and on. What statement summarizes your life? hardly a better statement that could summarize our lives than people would look at us and say, it's a man or woman that says, ultimately, they're living. Behold the Lamb of God. The life that points to Jesus Christ. There's no, there's no greater purpose ever. Imagine if that was what was said about us. I mean, that person, I mean, that, that guy, that, that woman, you know, he drives me crazy. He just, all he does is point to Jesus. That's all right. That's a good statement of blame right there. This is John the Baptist, though. You know, one of the things we can't take for granted in this series is that John the Baptist, in his pursuit of Christ, he actually wanted to become less. Like, he actually wanted to be less because he knew the less he became as he pointed to Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God, as he directed the attention away from himself and to the Lord Jesus Christ, he lived by faith that the less he became, the more he actually started to live. Again, question, we asked this a couple weeks ago, we asked this again, though. Do we really want to become less? I just paused because I want us to think about that. Do we really want to become less? Do we really believe and have faith that the less we become, the more we actually start to live? Do we believe this with our lives? Are we living lives that less is more? I mean, just take, take this last week. Were we living out the truth that less is more when it's rooted in Jesus Christ? Did we prove that with our devotion? Devotions. Are we waking up and seeking our lives to be filled with Jesus Christ because we believe that the more he lives within us, the less we become, the more we live? Did we prove that with our affections, what were we loving this week? What did we place our heart upon? Where did our affections go? Was it, was it Christ or was it all a bunch of stuff of the world? Do we prove it in our, in our marriages? Because when I love Jesus Christ and I want to become less in him and I put my spouse first, because as I love Christ, then I love my wife as Jesus loved the church who gave himself up for her. Did I prove it in my key relationships and friendships by outdoing one another and showing honor? That I gladly lower myself before my friend that they might be honored and I will be forgotten because I love Jesus so much. You see where I'm going with this? We can believe that concept here, but is it... Is it taking root here? Did I live that out in, in my workplace this week? Do our lives speak out this truth? Uh, like, there's a ton of grace here right now. There, there's a ton of grace. But what we're, what we're recognizing right now, love, is we're recognizing that this is the battle of life. 
that we decrease and Christ increases. Lord willing, that exact passage next week. It's the battle against the flesh. However, if we are at the place where we truly believe that less of us and more of Christ means more of true life, if we believe that that is true, and I'm praying most of us do, yes, I believe that, and I want that, and we say, how do I do that? That's the thesis of today. How do I take active steps to become less that Christ might become more? F.B. Meyer summarized it beautifully. He said this. I mean, this is worth writing down. Take a picture, do something. I remember when I first heard this, quote. Well, I don't know, 15, 17 years ago, I'm like, that is awesome. Listen, the only hope for a decreasing self. Here it is, love. Here it is. I mean, take this. Put this in your pipe and smoke it, okay? <laughs> this is awesome, okay? Listen, the only hope for a decreasing self. Listen, listen, here it is. Here it is an increase in Christ. The moment Jesus Christ becomes greater in our lives, we automatically start to shrink. See what happens there? You can't have Christ become more in your life without automatically, spiritually becoming less. You can't, you can't compete with Christ. You, you can't have him exalted in your life and then you grow with him. No, no, no. You become less as he becomes more. But then you've never wanted to live more than when you are decreasing the Christ is increasing. The only hope of you and I becoming less is Jesus Christ increasing. And that's our entire text today. It's fantastically Christological. And Christological just means it's the nature of the life of Jesus Christ. It's all this passage is. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's why I'm so excited. It just feels like you just know you can't do any wrong right now. We're just going to go through a text that's got Jesus exalted in every verse and you just feel safe because you know this is what the Lord blesses. You know what I'm saying, church? It's so beautiful and it's so right. So I believe this is one of these passages the Lord wants to move in in a very special way. Look at how we end, end this service to the Lord's Supper. It's just so right. It's so right. And so we so need to so pray. I'm gonna pray now. Father, unusually expectant this weekend for you because I just firmly believe that as we exalt the Lord Jesus Christ as high as we can, and you fill that. It's what you bless. It's who you are. It's what you do. And so I pray, Lord, you will find us, men and women, fully believing, Lord Jesus Christ, as you increase, that we will never be more satisfied, never be more joy-filled, never be more fulfilled. Lord, I admit and I believe that as we increase, then life probably doesn't become easier. But man, it becomes better. And so this is a battle for faith right now. Do I believe this? Do I believe this? Men and women, even right now, do I believe that? Do I believe that all my life should be pointing to the glory of Christ? Well, I pray you will convince us by your word. And I pray the Holy Spirit would just rock lives. Yes, Lord, start with me. And I'm excited for right now, together, your church, your family, your bride, studying your word for your glory. In Jesus' name, if you agree, you can say... Amen. John 1, 29. Check it out. Glorious. Verse 29. The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, 
Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the... Just live in the text, okay? Like, just imagine seeing John the Baptist, and there he is the next day. He saw Jesus coming. He, he sees him coming. Imagine what his heart felt in that moment. He knows what's going on right here. Behold! I mean, whoever's listening to him, and just look! Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin in the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. Why? Because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water. Notice that he might be revealed to Israel. Glory. And John bore witness. This is awesome. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he, listen, he, God, who sent me to baptize with water, said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And then notice how John ends the section. He says, and I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Wow. This passage is bursting with light and power. You know, sometimes you can look up at a star-dusted sky and there's beautiful stars all throughout the sky, but there's one particular star that just stands out and it's so bright. There's one particular star that you see and it's just filled with an unusual amount of glory. It's not that the other stars aren't great. They are, they're beautiful. But there's this one star that's standing out and you're looking at it and you're like, that is awesome. That's our text today. All scripture is breathed out by God. And yet there's certain passages within the God-breathed scriptures that stand out with a, maybe a little more glory and intensity. This is one of them right here. John the Baptist provides a testimony of Jesus that is especially wonderful. Let's look closely. Point number one, the Lamb of God beheld. The Lamb of God beheld. Again, verse 29, he sees Jesus Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, can you see how in this one verse, in some ways, that phrase by John the Baptist summarizes the entire Bible. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why would it summarize the entire Bible? It's the story of redemption. From Genesis to Revelation, this is what's happening. God's plan to redeem people to himself. And the only way that happens is through sending the Lamb of God, his son, to be the sacrifice for our sins. So the entire Bible, in some ways, is centered on verse 29. I mean, just think about it in terms of Christmas. The baby in the manger is really the sacrificial Lamb of God. And again, his name is Jesus, Matthew's gospel tells us, because he will save people from their sins. Jesus equaling the Lord's salvation, the sacrificial lamb of God. Let's just do a little bit of biblical theology right here on the lamb of God. I think these moments are very helpful and beautiful. Very, very simple, but very beautiful in my mind. A simple, simple timeline of the theology of the man of God. The lamb of God is first introduced in Exodus with the Passover. God's people being rescued from the Egyptians and the angel of death is coming and the instructions from God are the blood must be on the doorposts. If they're not there, your child will die. But when the blood is there from the lamb that was sacrificed, then your child will be spared. 
The angel of death will pass over. This is an awesome moment. This is the whole concept of the Passover and the lamb is introduced to God's people, but ultimately it is pointing forward. It is foreshadowing the lamb, the lamb of God. And then you have Christmas, and this is why this is such a big deal, right? Because at Christmas, the incarnation, the lamb has come. The lamb has been sent, and we have to remember that he's born to die. He wasn't born just to live and pray around and have a good time and then ascend back up into heaven. He came to live and ultimately to die on that horrific cross as the Lamb of God. So the Lamb of God is set, and in Easter, of course, the Lamb of God is sacrificed. It's no coincidence, loved ones, that Jesus dies at Passover. I mean, orchestrated perfectly by the sovereign God, Jesus, the Lamb of God, dies at the very moment when there's thousands of lambs being sacrificed all over Jerusalem and the blood is flowing down the streets. And meanwhile, there's the very Lamb of God shedding his blood for the sins of the entire world. That's awesome. That's the Lamb of God. And then ultimately, the Bible ends in the book of Revelation where there's a lamb standing as though he was slain. And he opens the scroll And all of a sudden, the power and the title deed for the earth is held by one, and it's the lamb. And then the elders and the angels, they fall down and they worship and they declare and they sing and they honor, worthy is the lamb to receive strength and honor and glory and power. You see, from beginning to end, the theology of the lamb of God is everywhere because he has been sent by God to die for our sins, and we will praise him forever and ever, amen. The Lamb of God sent, the Lamb of God praised, the Lamb of God who holds the keys to death in Hades. It's this Lamb that the entire world is centered on. No wonder then, John says, behold, the Lamb of God. And isn't this the call for our lives? And our own way to say, with the boldness of the Holy Spirit, behold, The Lamb of God. God, we do pray for that boldness this season because what other purpose is there? I mean, what other purpose can we have than pointing people to the one who saves them from their sins, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God? And notice the ever important work in verse 29. See what it says next? Who takes away the sin of the world. The sin, singular, of the world. Notice in this beautiful phrase, we see three main things about this verse. Number one, the lamb is the provision of God. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave, he gave. You see, God gave his provision for our sin. Incredible. Christmas is the provision of God. The propitiation from God takes away the sin of the world. Propitiation means Jesus Christ took the wrath that we deserve. Romans 3.25, it says, whom God, Christ, whom God put forward as our propitiation. That's incredible. God provides his son to bear the wrath of God, punishment for our sins on Christ, that we don't have to endure the wrath of God than to the praise of God. As we just heard in Revelation 5.12, 
all of eternity is spent praising the lamb who was slain because it's the only thing that allows us to live at all. And so all glory and honors do his name. And so this statement includes the provision of God, propitiation from God, and the praise, the praise that goes to God. Incredible, it's awesome, it's beautiful, it's, it's amazing. You know, I find it incredibly beautiful too that Jesus worshiped for all of eternity as the lamb that was slain. Why does it say the lamb that was slain? Because he's standing as though a lamb that was slain. It's saying that because in eternity, loved ones, we still see the wounds of Jesus Christ. We see his scars. You can, you can see them visibly there as a reminder of what he did as the sacrificial lamb of God who came to take away our sins. I noticed, I will confess, I noticed this part of this hymn just recently, and it blew my mind again. Because we don't always sing all the same verses, but recently this verse was sung, and I thought about it, and I'm like, oh, I've got to write that down to use it in a sermon. Here I am, like, a few weeks later, I get to use it. Yay, okay? Notice, crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands and side. Rich wounds yet visible above. In heaven, in glory. The lamb standing will see his wounds rich, visible above, in beauty glorified. This is, this is eternal vision. No angels in the sky can fully bear that sight, but downward bends their burning eye and mystery sober. No angels in the sky can fully bear the sight of the glory of the lamb that was slain. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See what happens here? This is why the moment you truly see Jesus Christ with eyes of faith, you'll never be never the same. You're, 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 you're never the same again. I mean, who's here today? Who's here tonight, right now? You set your eyes on Jesus Christ for the first time truly, you'll never be the same again. I always want to appeal to our young people, but every woman, who knows who's here right now? You set your eyes on Jesus Christ with true eyes of faith. Your life will never be the same again, just as John the Baptist is testifying before us right now. Behold the Lamb of God, man. You see him, it takes away the sin of the world. Your sin's crushing you. Your sin is destroying you. Your sin is miser making you miserable. Jesus Christ, the lamb that was sent to take away the sin of the world. The lamb of God beheld. Second, the eternal God revealed. The eternal God revealed. Look at verse 30 now. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Wow, this is a fascinating statement, okay? So beautiful on many levels. John knew that he was physically born before Jesus. He knew. He was six months uh, prior to Jesus. They were cousins. So what's he talking about that? I mean, Jesus is before me, he's saying. Well, it's not speaking of physical birth order. It's speaking of this, that Jesus Christ existed eternally. That Jesus Christ was begotten not made, as the creed says. He's the great I am. John was created. Jesus is eternal. And right here, by the way, and John says he ranks before me because he was before me, that blows up the cult's teaching right there that says Jesus was a created being. He wasn't created. He always existed. He's God, the Son of God, eternally existing with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus wasn't created. Jesus, rather, created all things. Where's that? John 1, verse 3. Take a look. John 1, verse 3. 
I'll read verse two. He, Christ, he, why is it Christ? The word, capital W, word, logos, the definition, the expression of God. He, Christ, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. This is Jesus. No one like him. Eternally existing. John was finite. Jesus was infinite. John was a prophet. Jesus was the king of kings and lord of lords. Again, verse 30. After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Jesus has existed eternally. That's why in John chapter 8, Jesus throws down the gauntlet before the religious leaders and puts them into a furious rage of anger. Here's what Jesus says in John 8. Again, he's throwing down the gauntlet here. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And the Jews are like, what? You're talking like you know Abraham and you've talked with him and seen him. And so the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. And yet you've seen Abraham like in utter horror. What are you, a madman? And then Jesus just, now he really throws it down. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, you could not say a more loaded statement than he's basically picking up on the exact phrasing of what God said to Moses in the burning bush. If the religious leaders know anything, they know this phrase right here. And then see the result? So they picked up stones to throw at him because they knew exactly what he was doing. And to them, that was utter blasphemy. How could you ever possibly equate yourself with the eternal Yahweh, eternally existing I am God? But of course, Jesus could do that because he was that. Self-sufficient, self-sustaining God. Isn't this so interesting? The religious leaders could not take it. They couldn't take it. They couldn't take that Jesus was so mad. They wanted to kill him. Why? Because they couldn't see it. Notice John, he sees it and he loves it. Doesn't that just describe our world right there? There's two people in this world. Ones who hate Jesus and want him to die and those who love Jesus and will do anything for him. In fact, it's fascinating to me, the hard stone heart hears this truth. The hard stone heart hears this truth that Jesus Christ is the great I am and they want Jesus to die. The soft, faith-filled heart Here's this truth and wants to die for Jesus. Two people in the world, loved ones, which one are you? What a contrast, what a picture of two paths. Look now at verse 31. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water. Notice that he might be revealed to Israel. So once again, we see the affirmation of the purpose of John's life and ministry. The revealing of Jesus Christ is right there. His whole purpose, prepare you the way of the Lord. Uh, get ready, he's coming. Prepare your hearts with baptism. Cleanse your hearts from sin. Get ready for Jesus Christ. So beautiful this is. John's life and ministry and purpose. Again, Lord, use, use us to do the same. I ask you again, who are you praying for this Christmas season? Who's on your mind? Who's on your heart? Who are you reaching out to love? What, 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 what deeds of service and love and charity are we, are we performing not to gain favor with God out of genuine love for the lost? Who are we begging God for that he might save? Who are we praying for to have the opportunity to invite them and even at that moment before they even get here to share Christ with them? God help us. God use us. 
that we might say, behold, the Lamb of God. Because our purpose is that we might reveal the Lord Jesus Christ. Because our purpose is to see that Christ is revealed to others and they're saved. God, help us. And fill us, Lord, with that desire. We repent of our apathy and our laziness and our worldliness. We repent of our selfishness. We repent, Lord, of our filthiness. It's so apathetic and lackadaisical with the things of you, Lord. So indifferent to those who are perishing apart from you. Forgive us, Lord. But now use us, Lord. Use us, Lord, to see great things done for you. You're listening to Live in the Light with Robbie Simons. Our prayer is that people are impacted by Live in the Light, they would be renewed in mind, reinforced in faith, and resolved in will to live in Jesus Christ. If you'd like to hear this message again or the rest of the messages from this series, you can find these resources and more on our website at liveinthelight.ca. I'm Craig Turnbull, and on behalf of Robbie Simons, we invite you to join us again next time on Live in the Light. Oh, yeah. I wanna-